0: Well, as I shared uh, a little bit earlier in the service, and we'll share toward the end of our service, this has been, indeed, uh, you you talk about ups and downs uh, from such a wonderful happy time to uh, one day after the other uh, this past week, as each day unfolds, hearing um, uh, sad news uh, of the Israeli teens, the Palestinian uh, teenager. Uh, And then uh, Sean Trank, whom many of us um, probably have not met, but have gotten to know over the last number of months uh, via his uh, installments on the internet about uh, his ordeal. And so uh, it's been kind of a week of reflection. And we have those times from time to time. We've had them here before. I don't need to tell you that, uh, and but they, they cause us to reflect and to think and to uh, really, I think, uh, renew afresh our uh, understanding of this life and the world to come, you know? Uh, and so I thought uh, we would take a look at a sum that um, a few of us looked at this past Wednesday morning at our... Uh, at our men's uh, little chavurah that we have on Wednesday mornings. What we're doing there for the, well, since we started it already now for a long time, uh, we have been uh, looking at uh, psalms, a different psalm or a portion of a uh, psalm. And uh, so uh, I haven't been going in order of these psalms. I've been kind of just here and there. You know, when we started, we, we took on Psalm 23 for a long time. You know me, you know, going just, just can go on forever. But we've been looking at them more, uh, you know, holistically, I guess you'd say, or completely in the last number of months. So um, what I decided a few months ago is that we would look at psalms that are next to famous psalms. You know, like Psalm 111, you know, uh, Psalm uh, 24, uh, which in and of itself is is not so uh, obscure, but anyway, you know, uh, Psalm ninety, Psalm ninety, you know, uh, things of the, things like that. So uh, Psalm one forty five, you know, is a real famous psalm, right? Ashrei, we we sing it, we say it. So this past week we looked at Psalm one forty four, okay, and that's where I think we want to uh, turn today, because as we were reading it this past Wednesday morning. It just turned out to really be uh, an enriching experience for the few of us that were there as as we read it uh, and reacted to it. You know, the Psalms (coughs) uh, are a little bit different than the rest of the Bible. Uh, In that it's, or I should say, Hebrew poetry, you know, is a type of literature that is not meant to be simply, and when I say simply, I guess I should say only, exegeted and understood. In other words, when people uh, interpret the Bible and look for ways of making it apply, one of the things you could say is we look behind the text and we look in front of the text. Okay? We look behind it and in front of it. The text is what we have. Right, we all we have is the text here. We don't. We, we weren't alive at that time. We weren't there when it was actually penned or anything like that. Right? There's no eyewitness accounts. And there's no one like for us to call on the phone and say, you know, back when David wrote Psalm 144, what was it like? You know, all we have is the text. Right? So we do our best to mine the historical truth behind it, what what led to it, and understand it. And then when I say in front of the text is how we respond to it, the response uh, to, to the text. So when it comes to psalms, it's kind of like they're songs, right? So when you hear a song uh, on the radio of whatever kind of song is meaningful to you, whatever, whatever it is, oftentimes, well, I, should, I shouldn't say this, not so oftentimes, we look behind the song to see what motivated the, the writer to write the song. What was his state of mind? We don't always want to know that, but what, what was the state of mind of the person who wrote the song? What was the situation of writing it? Now, sometimes that can be very poignant, sometimes, and it's, and it's helpful, but I think for most of us, what we get out of the song is how we react to it and Uh, our own situation of life uh, when we heard that song. Isn't there songs that remind you of when you were in high school? Uh, Aren't there songs that you will hear on the radio that will immediately throw you back to a specific snapshot of your life, where you were, who you were with, what you were doing, right? Music does that for us. Words, the combination of poetry and music. This morning when Alyosha was playing those songs, they're like a sermon, even though there's no words. Because we, as human beings, created in the image and likeness of God, are wired in such a way as to uh, resonate with music and poetry uh, in, in a way that is different than anything else that's created. It has to do with being created in the image and likeness of God and being created to be creative. But that's another story uh, for another day. Uh, But here, when we read the Psalms, it is helpful to know what's going on, but also it's important for us to recognize that they're written so that we can react to them in a certain way. So there are Psalms that encourage us, there are Psalms that uh, challenge us, there are psalms that chasten us, and we react to them with different kinds of emotions, and that's what we're supposed to do. Yet I will say it is helpful to understand backgrounds. I would never say that that's not helpful, but that's not where you leave the psalms. It's not enough to understand the Hebrew words and and when they were written and say, okay, now I understand it. But when it comes to poetry, there has to be something that brings th- th- that resonates with us to it. So having said that, when you study the Psalms, one of the great things to do with with Psalms is to simply read them. Just read them and then you meditate on it and you think think about it. So um, uh, follow along as I read Psalm 144 and we'll say a few words about it here. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war. And my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. O Lord, what is man that thou dost take knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou dost think of him? Man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains that they may smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Send out thine arrows and confuse them. Stretch forth thy hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters, out of the hand of aliens, whose mouth speaks deceit and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to thee, O God, Upon a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to thee. Who does give salvation to kings? Who does rescue David, his servant, from the evil sword? Rescue me and deliver me out of the hand of aliens, whose mouth speaks deceit and whose right hand is a a right hand of falsehood. Let our sons in their youth be as grown-up plants and our daughters as corner pillars fashioned as for a palace." Let our garners be full, furnishing every kind of produce, and our flocks bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. Let our cattle bear without mishap and without loss. Let there be no outcry in our streets. How blessed are the people who are so situated. How blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. So now this is an interesting psalm. It's called the Psalm of David which, by the way, can mean a psalm written by David or a psalm written in honor of of David. Okay? Now, the first part of it, it's divided up into three parts. The first part is verses 1 through 4, where uh, there's this great acknowledgement of who God is. Then verses 5 to 8, which is like a a, a prayer for uh, deliverance. And then verses 9 to 15... Uh, which is a statement uh, that uh, basically says this is what we look forward to just as in the days of David and the deliverance that David received. So we look forward uh, in the eschaton, in the alam in the haba for the ultimate deliverance. So I would suggest to us that the first part of this psalm may indeed have been written by David. Maybe the first two parts of the psalm. Uh, written by David. But then this psalm of David was taken by a later generation uh, and, uh, uh, and remembered and looked forward to in the future. Just as it says in 2 Chronicles 6, in verse 42, O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember your loving kindness to your servant David. Remember the loving kindness that you showed David and show it to us forever. And so in this psalm, there is a focus on David and a focus on forever. And this is how we can relate to this psalm. We don't live in David's day. We don't face the the very same issues uh, that David faced. Uh, None of us are a king of Israel. Any kings of Israel here? You know what I mean. No, okay? Uh, and none of us um, uh, are the anointed in the monarchy. Uh, uh, I don't think so. David played a very unique role the entire history of Israel. No one was exactly like David. And so when David prays, we do not have the exact same uh, uh, situation. Yet uh, we do certainly face uh, uh, battles. Uh, Sometimes physical, oftentimes emotional, spiritual, and in a variety uh, of of ways. And so we can certainly relate uh, to the way this uh, this psalm is written. So here at the beginning, blessed be the Lord, right? Uh, This is uh, uh, like a benediction. Uh, uh, Blessed be the Lord, my rock. And now when you look at these first four verses, you see that a number of words are used to describe God, right? You can look at it. You you know, uh, uh, think of this as sort of an an interactive uh, event. Look at the text, and I'm going to point out things that, that you, given enough time, would certainly all point out, right? How is God described? Rock, fortress, stronghold, deliverer, shield, refuge, the one who subdues. And loving kindness. So, we see in the first few verses, God is very strong. And by the way, uh, if you have a Bible with cross references, you'll see references to all kinds of other places in the Bible here, because uh, this Psalm is a mirror of a number of different passages uh, in the Bible that that uh, say these uh, that say these words. So, God is uh, a rock. Uh, and he is—he's strong. He's a protector. Uh, he is the one who uh, uh, never leaves us. Uh, uh, the one who is uh, strong for us. The one who who defeats the enemy and and uh, causes us not to be uh, causes us not to be destroyed. Now, it is interesting that the word loving kindness is thrown in the mix here. Uh, because loving kindness doesn't seem to really go with rock and fortress and deliverer and stronghold and shield and maybe refuge, um, but these are very strong, uh, uh, strong terms. Loving kindness, loyal love. Well, we could say here that uh, uh, God is our loving kindness. He is, He is faithful. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And this is what David is saying. God is always with him, right? Uh, No matter what. And this tells us a little bit about David's worldview, we might say, that God is involved all the time. That if God is indeed his loving kindness, God's loyally with David all the time. There's never a time when he's not there. There's never a time when uh, uh, David is forsaken, There's, uh, there may be a time when, as uh, the rabbis like to say, uh, that God may hide his face for a season, which means that uh, uh, God uh, is not felt, but he's still there, still there, always. Now, it says something else here about God uh, that's kind of interesting. It says, who trains my hands for war. He trains my hands for war. Now, that's a very interesting statement because David certainly was a warrior, right? Uh, One of the great things about David is he was a tremendous military strategist Uh, and he was a fighter and and, uh, and, um, uh, he was a a man uh, who was very brave and and, uh, and who fought mightily uh, for God, And uh, what we see is the one time he didn't go to war when he was supposed to, he got himself in some mighty big trouble. Now, if you remember also when David prays that he wants to build a house for God, right, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, right? God says, I have some good news for you and some bad news for you. He says, I'm going to build a house, but you can't build it. And what was the reason that David could not build the house? Blood on his hands, David was indeed uh, a warrior, okay? Uh, And so when he says, who trains my hands for war, it tells us that David, uh, in his relationship with God, did not uh, simply, uh, he did not just shrink back and say, Lord, go and do, I will sit, sit back here. He was active in his calling. He was active uh, in uh, the plan of God, that God had indeed a, uh, a plan and a strategy and David was uh, blessed to be able to, to participate in that strategy and in what God was doing. And so God trained his hands for war because that's what David did. In the context here, it's about warfare. Uh, in other contexts, David could have written who trains my hands for leadership, who trains my hands to be a king, who trains my hands to do all kinds of things. But again, this relates to the worldview that David had, that God is involved in everything, in everything we do. You know, there is no sense in the Bible of this is secular and this is spiritual or this is religious or this is not religious. That doesn't occur at all, it's, it's not part of the worldview of the Bible itself. So whatever David did, God was deeply involved, uh, involved in it. And God is the one indeed who protected him. God gave him the power. God gave him the, the mind. Uh, God gave him the courage. Uh, yet at the same time, we read here about man and David, perhaps David's reflection of himself. In verses 3 and 4. O Lord, what is man? Now David was a man. Perhaps he was thinking, who am I? O Lord, what is man that thou dost take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that thou dost think of him? Man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Boy, there's a really big difference between the description of God in verses 1 and 2 and the description of mankind, human beings. In verses three and four, right, man is like a little fly, <laughs> man is like uh right breath that you can't even see, and that goes away uh immediately, not only a shadow but a passing shadow, you know uh, and uh and so this gives us the, the the understanding here that man is is temp, God is eternal and and stable and dependable, uh, you know, one we can count on at all times. And man is like, who knows, you know, his days or we we come and we go. Now you read this in a number of other places. Psalm ninety kind of says this and. And in fact, in Psalm 8, right, it's, perhaps it's even a quote of Psalm 8, which is quoted in the book of Hebrews and related to Yeshua, right? Uh, you have the same idea here in, uh, in Psalm 8 when uh, uh, we read in verse 4, What is man that thou dost take thought of him? And the son of man that thou dost care for him. See? But then it says... Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. So, yes, when we compared to God, who are we? Yet God has uh, uh, brought us to an exalted position. Uh, and uh, we talked about that, I think, a little bit, actually a few months ago in several passages about what it means to be in the image uh, and likeness of God. Yet, when we come back to Psalm 144, we see here that it is an amazing thing. God does indeed care deeply for us, communally and individually. He does indeed care for us, and that is where our confidence comes from, when we understand who God is and we understand who who we are, if we really thought that, our, that, that we are a rock and that uh, we are the fortress and we are the stronghold, and then we look at, look at our lives and we look at the difficulties of life, boy, there wouldn't be a whole lot of confidence there. Yet our confidence is in God and not in we ourselves. And perhaps this is what Paul was thinking in the B'rit Chadasha when he writes things like when we are weak, then we are strong. Passages... Uh, uh, just, like, uh, just like this. And so now that uh, uh, David has acknowledged the greatness of God, that God is involved in every bit of his life, that God has trained him for what he's called to do, that God will never leave him or forsake him, no matter what happens, even though he's like a breath, uh, you know, and very temporal, he now prays in verses uh, 5 to 8, Lord, come and get the victory. He doesn't say, God, be my co-pilot here, you know? He doesn't say, you've trained my hands for war, so now I'm going to go and fight, and please just help me get the victory. He actually speaks, God, do miracles, and there's echoes here of how God has revealed himself in the past, like at Mount Sinai and other places, like, for example, I don't know about you, but I think of Sinai in verse 5 when he says, Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down, touch the mountains that they may smoke. That's what happened at Sinai. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Send out thine arrows and confuse them. So here he talks about God God, bring the victory. Lord, you have empowered me. Uh, Lord, you bring victory. Uh, the victory. You know, in a way, it kind of reminds us of a messianic prophecy about the future, uh, and that is in Zechariah chapter 12, about this relationship of God, uh, of God empowering us and God doing the work and how that kind of all comes together. It says in uh, Zechariah chapter uh, uh, 12, in verse 8, in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it will come about in that day that I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So here we, say, we see that um, in that day, uh, the one who is feeble will be like David. And the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. By the way, that tells us something about the angel of the Lord. Oh, that's another story. But anyway, and then in verse 9, it says, And it will come about on that day that I, God is speaking in the first person, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So here, God says, I will destroy the nations that come against Jerusalem, but the house of David will be like God in that day. So just like we would say today that God gets the victory, God uh, moves mountains, God moves the uh, parts, the waters, God brings it to pass, yet he doesn't call us to sit silently and just watch it like we're watching it on television, like we're watching a a ball game, you know? Uh, And we like to refer to our favorite team as we. We won the game, yet I don't know about you, but I'm eating the Doritos and drinking the pop. You know what I mean? Not really, just figuratively speaking. But, um, but uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not out there uh, on the playing field. And in our world, we kind of view, I think, life a lot that way, you know? But here, God says, no, you are involved. David says, he trained my hands for war. He trained me to fulfill the calling that he's called me to do and to be uh, in this life. David was created in the image and likeness of God, and God called him to specific work. And he calls each of us to specific work. And we need to understand that, at least from this morning, in the perspective here, as it is warfare. It's a difficult Journey: Life is hard. It is. But we shouldn't be grovelling in this life. We should recognize that, ho- hopefully, as we cultivate faith and, and walk in the Lord, that we, ha- we are not wearing rose-colored glasses, but that we recognize life is indeed difficult. There's not one person as I look around the room, and I know some of you better than others. Uh, But everyone I know, past two or three conversations in this room, has parts of your life that are difficult, were, are, that you think about often, even from the past, whatever it might be, see? Because we are living, you see, in this in-between time. The the word we like to use is prolepsis. But what that means is an in-between time. We live, for example, in between the time when our people came out of Egypt and they got to the Promised Land. Uh, the, uh, the in-between time when, when uh, David was uh, called to be king and, and before he actually became the king, right? Uh, in-between time, difficult time of the journey getting to that place. So we are living in this period of time when, when Yeshua has come and the Messiah has come and he has delivered us <clears throat> from our sins, yet we're living in this in-between time when the full-orbed salvation of this world has yet to be seen. So we live in two worlds, right? We live, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter one, right? So even though we've been delivered from this domain of darkness, we still live in the midst of the whole thing. Even though we live uh, in the kingdom of his beloved son. What that means is that now we have a, a different kind of worldview. We live our lives differently. There's a different trajectory in our lives. There's even a a, 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 a source of strength and spiritual power uh, to get through uh, this life because we indeed know that God is our loving kindness. He is our fortress. He is our stronghold. He is our deliverer. He is our shield. We can take refuge in him. He subdues uh, our enemies, even though we are weak people. But in him we are strong. Not necessarily physically strong, but we are strong of constitution. We are strong of vision. We are strong of values. We are strong of of uh, knowing uh, our inheritance in the future and and all those things. And I'm sure that if you're familiar with the Bible, you may be thinking of a a passage such as in the New Covenant of um, Ephesians uh, chapter 6. In verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and have done everything to stand firm. Uh, and then it says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance uh, and petition for all uh, the saints. And he goes on uh, to, to uh, elaborate uh, on, uh, on that. Okay. Now, so uh, certainly uh, God has availed himself to us uh, in this way. Uh, and, uh, and so even though uh, there is great difficulty uh, in this world, there is a great promise, uh, and there is great uh, uh, power. You know, we suffer along with the rest of the world, but we have hope, a vision of the future, a promise of an inheritance that nothing uh, can destroy. In this world, we have ideological battles, political battles, we have diseases, but he trains our hands for war so we can fight this battle, knowing that God indeed is our refuge and that indeed uh, the uh, Messiah uh, has has come. Now, if you look at the end of the psalm, this is where what David prayed is taken to a new level, taken to a new height. It's not just about David's world and his day or our own personal uh, battles in our own personal sphere, but it's about our particular place in the trajectory of, of this whole world. You know, God has called us not simply to be overcomers of our own issues. He's not called us simply to have our own Personal relationship with God, but He's called us to be part of a plan that changes the whole world. The whole world. And we as a community, and we can define the community in different ways: the Jewish community, the messianic Jewish community, the community of believers everywhere, the community of humanity. We come with with, with scrapes on our knees. Uh, we come with uh, unanswered questions. Uh, we come with scars of battle. But we come always with a vision. And we come always with a sense that the, 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 the war has been won. But there is a process that God has called us to, to live out our lives in such a way as to bring him glory and, and victory. You know, uh, 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 let me just uh, interject here that uh, speaking of, uh, you know, the events of this past week and of uh, Sean Trank, whom uh, most of us, most of us uh, never met and uh, like myself, never even heard of until uh, late last year. <clears throat> but uh because of uh, his uh love of the lord and the way he uh, he and his brother um uh journaled uh, through words uh, and video uh, this his ordeal uh it's like all the sermons you know this is what it means to be a believer when difficult times come you know uh, and uh and so Certainly, uh, uh, God has given us uh, the tools to get through this life uh, regardless of our circumstances. But the great hope is here the new song in verse 9, who gives salvation to kings, who rescues David. Now, you'll notice at the end of the psalm in verse 12, this sounds kind of like the book of Joel in a way, you know? Let our sons and their youth be as grown-up plants and our daughters as corner pillars fashioned as for a palace. You know, let our animals uh, give birth uh, without, without losing any of them. Uh, let there be no outcry in our streets. How blessed are the people who are so situated. How blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Well, that is a day that we certainly are not living in yet. But it is a day in which we look forward to. And everything that happens in life some way or another when we know the Lord leads us one step further to that day. And all of us, play when we know the Lord, when we embrace Yeshua, we're not on the sidelines. You know, you could say, using uh, the illustration earlier, that when we don't know Messiah, we are kind of like watching it all on TV. We're kind of watching it all unfold. Even if we're involved in it, you know, historically. When we know the Lord, then we're in it. Because God is involved in bringing this world to its fruition. And when we know the Lord, whether it's through great victory in this world, whether it's through uh, uh, enduring and suffering, and regardless of what it is, when we know the Lord, every single thing that happens in our lives and every single decision we make is somehow related to that end result. That means that every single one of us is significant in the plan of God, whether we understand it all or not. And every single one of us lives the life that God has indeed uh, given us. He trains each of us for whatever role that is. The question for us is, will will we embrace it? Will we embrace it? Will we shy away from it? Will we rationalize it away? What will we do with it? But each and every one of us who proclaims the name of Yeshua, we are in it and God has called us. So embrace your calling and be trained for that battle. Be trained spiritually as we read in Ephesians and in whatever way in this world to give glory uh, indeed to God and look forward to... Uh, to that day. You know, in closing, last, as I said at the beginning, last week, uh, last Sunday, was such a marvelous day and it was great to just be, just be able to be in the room, you know, to see uh, two young people, both who love the Lord, Jewish believers, uh, just uh, uh, get married and just lots of joy and happiness of, of a family. And you know, at the wedding, as in uh, weddings that you have all witnessed, when we uh, uh, sing the Sheva Brachot, the seven blessings, if you've ever read them carefully, you know that they don't, all, they don't all have to do with the bride and the groom. You know that? They don't all have to do with the bride and the groom. The purpose of those seven blessings is to take this temporal experience of, of marriage and look forward to the day of Israel's redemption. When brides and grooms will be under their canopies and, and uh, there'll be no more war and no more rumors of war and no more tears and, and, uh, and all of that. It's also when we break the glass at the wedding, you know, the, the original meaning of that is to remember the destruction of the temple. What a great thing to remember, you know, at the moment of great happiness, when a couple is getting married, well, we give it all kinds of other metaphorical meanings, which is fine. But what are, we, what are we doing? We're saying that the entire history of our people is not to be forgotten, but it's all moving forward, leading to the Alam haba. And so may we embrace that. May we recognize that. May we find a measure of peace and comfort uh, in that uh, as well. And so may we take Psalm 144, And recognize that God has indeed called us to his work in this context to the battle. And that uh, God will indeed come and intercede and that there will be this great day of jubilation. uh, And may it come soon. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for this great psalm of assurance, Lord Thank you, God, that you do, you do train our hands for battle and that you're involved in everything we do, everything we're called to. Lord, thank you, God, that when we know you, there's now a, a, a trajectory to this life. There's a, there's a particular worldview. There's a particular vision. And thank you, Lord, that there is an inheritance laid up for us that moths can't eat, that mildew can't destroy, and that a bad economy can't evaporate. Lord, thank you that it is indeed an assurance. And thank you, uh, a God, that even though there are times in our lives when, when there's sadness and, and, uh, and tears to be shed and, and unanswered questions and, and difficulty, thank you, Lord, that we know that this is not all that there is, God. And we do pray, God, that Yeshua would indeed return quickly, Lord. And we do look forward to that day when the king will be physically on his throne. In Jerusalem, and that there will be no more bloodshed in Israel. Uh, there will be no more uh, grieving for young men and women, Lord, and that there will be no more disease and no more sadness, Lord, and no more war and no more needs for cures, Lord. When in that day, God, certainly uh, there will be heard in the cities of Judah and the streets of, of Jerusalem, joy and singing of bridegrooms and brides. And we pray in Messiah's name.